Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. We have been working our way through Matthew's gospel ever since the beginning of the the COVID pandemic. And we come now to chapter 22. Something I did notice in in the translation that I used uh, when I was reading the the original language using Bible works to help me is that in almost every instance the word invite is used, it is actually the word in verse 14, call. And I think the the translations miss something when they change that. Call happens over and over and over again, and they've changed it to invite. I don't think that's helpful. So I've actually used my own translation here. So you may see invite, and I'm going to use the word call because it's the same word there in verse 14. And I think the repetitive nature of that tells us something about what the author is conveying. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in the parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were called to the wedding feast. But they didn't desire to come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are called, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those called were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and call to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray again and I'm going to pray some of the prayers from my little prayer sheet for the pastors. Father, help me come to the pulpit not with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to Your people the testimony of God. Help me determine not to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Help my speech and my preaching not to be with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that their faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Lord, help me in this glorious employ. Make me mighty in the Scriptures. Make our lives as a congregation be dominated by a sense of Your greatness and Your majesty and Your holiness. Lord, make our minds and hearts aglow with the great truths of the doctrines of grace. Help us learn what it is to die to self and to all human aims and personal ambitions. Help us to be willing to be fools for Christ's sake. Help us be willing to bear reproach and falsehood for Your sake. Help us labor and suffer for Your sake. Please make our supreme desire not to be to gain earth's accolades, but to win Your smile when You appear, when we appear before Your awesome judgment seat. Father, help me to preach with a broken heart and tear-filled eyes. Please grant Your ministry through me an extraordinary effusion of Your Holy Spirit and allow us today to witness signs and wonders following in the transformation of multitudes of human lives. Father, we thank You for the words of Jesus. We thank You that we can hear them today. And we pray, Lord, that You would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask, O oh God, that, we would, that none of us here, Lord, would be like the wicked people in this parable who don't desire You, who have better things to do than come to You, who are angry and bitter toward You, who, who, who come and are here and yet are not prepared. Father, if there are any like that among us, we ask, Holy Spirit, that You would be at work and through the Word, You would awaken, You would save, You would sanctify today. Lord, make us more like Christ. Make us fall more deeply in love with Jesus, our great heavenly Husband. And may we live for Him more because of our time together than when we came in at first. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Last Sunday, we saw Jesus tell a parable that showed the measureless, even, even seemingly reckless, love and mercy of God. And it shined the light of conviction and condemnation on the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day because of their rejection of the prophets God had sent to them. And ultimately, they rejected Jesus Himself, the Son of God. And, and the, 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 the thesis, the, the drive home, take home statement I repeated over and over again last week was this. God's love and mercy are relentless and without measure, but you must repent and receive His Son to receive mercy. We come to another parable today. And I want to remind you of why Jesus spoke in parables. Do you remember way back in Matthew 13, His disciples asked, why do you speak to people in parables? And the reason might shock you. <laughs> Matthew 13, 11 through 16, Jesus answered their question, to you, my disciples, it has been granted to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Many are called, few are chosen. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. 
and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And so at the beginning here, we ought to be praying, Lord, (laughs) give us eyes to see. Let us not be like those whom the parables are told to uh, so that they won't see. Please, God, illumine illumine our hearts, illumine our, our eyes, our minds. Let us see what you have to say to us, Jesus, that we might hear and understand. Today we see another parable. And this one describes what the kingdom of heaven is like. A great wedding feast the king is giving for his son. It's going to be a glorious celebration. And trust me, you're not going to want to miss out on this. You are not going to want to miss out on this. You're going to want to be there. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest wedding celebration that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. Everyone is called. Come. And come clothed in the righteousness of Christ and in your good deeds done in Him. That's the take-home statement for today. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest wedding celebration that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. Everyone is called. So come. Come clothed in the righteousness of Christ and in your good deeds done in Him. I've got 14 points. But they're short. Number one, the kingdom of heaven has a king who has a son. Look at verses 1 and 2. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. In this parable, describing the kingdom of heaven, the king represents God the Father, and the son represents his son, Jesus Christ. These truths remind us that God has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. He's a king, and kings rule and reign. God is king, and He rules and reigns. He's king whether you like it or not. He's king whether you believe in Him or not. He's king whether you acknowledge Him or not, whether you worship Him or not, whether you know Him or not. He's king, and we will answer the king. God has all power and authority. And Jesus, His Son, has all power and authority. You notice in this parable, uh, the king decides who's in and who's out. Daniel 4, 34-35, there was a king who thought his greatness was all about him, and God drove him out into the wilderness as a crazy man for years and years and years and showed him who's the boss. That he's king. And then brought him back, brought Nebuchadnezzar back, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar gives this great testimony of God is king in Daniel 4, 34 through 35. Beware if, if you beware if you turn away from this king, he might drive you crazy, or he may just kill you like he did Herod, who was eaten by worms when he didn't give God glory. And you're either gonna love that or you're gonna hate it. And that will show who's called and who's chosen. Those of you who are Christians, you love this. You love that God is king. 
that he's king of kings. And, and God brought Nebuchadnezzar back, and Nebuchadnezzar said, I bless the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is king. And, just a reminder, his son is king. <laughs> Not only does God have all authority, Jesus is God who has all authority. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Beloved, God is king and Jesus the Son is king. In this parable, God is the king, but take note, Jesus is also king. Isaiah 44, 6, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And yet, what do we read about the King Jesus Christ? In Revelation 1, 17-18, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And what is King Jesus called in John 1.49 by Nathaniel? Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That's point number one. God is King. Jesus is King. Jesus is God. Point number two. The kingdom of heaven is like a party celebration. The king is giving a wedding feast for his son. This is a celebration. This is a happy, joyful occasion. This is an occasion for dancing and singing and laughing and peace and joy. Beloved, this is what we have to look forward to. This is amazing. Children, children, imagine the greatest party you've ever been to, the greatest excitement you've ever had on earth about whatever it is you're looking forward to in the future, and then multiply that by infinity. That's what we had to look forward to. Infinity means forever, like 50 million, billion, trillion times, a gazillion times, children. It means multiply it by a gazillion times. That's the joy that you're going to have at this party. It's like no other. Heaven is going to be amazing. You want to be there. You want to be in this party. This is going to be amazing. This is what awaits us. Zechariah 8.5 describes the new heavens and the new earth by describing it as, as uh, where children play on the streets and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. That, that's what heaven is going to be like. That there's going to be joy and laughter and playing and, and delight and, and freedom uh, from stress and pain and suffering. That, that's the picture of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. This is what we have to look forward to. Isaiah 65, 17 through 19, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. All things sad will be forgotten and become untrue, in other words. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Beloved, this celebration is going to be a celebration that gets better every second. Where, where there's more joy and delight and happiness as time passes and it just, it, it just grows infinitely. That's the party. That's the party. Ephesians 2, 4-7, but God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages so that in the coming ages so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus it will take the coming ages for the infinite God to communicate His immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us who are finite. That's what we have to look forward to. It always gets better. Every day gets better and better and better. More joy, more delight. This is how the kingdom of heaven is described. It's like a party celebration. Point number three, the kingdom of heaven is like a royal wedding. The king in this parable, is having a wedding feast for his son. This parable points to the destination of all of human history, a wedding and a marriage that will never end and through which all of our deep desires will all be more than satisfied and fulfilled. Beloved, this should be an encouragement to you. No matter what your situation in life, what your pains in life, if you're in a hard marriage, you don't feel loved, if you're single and alone, you're going to be married someday. And you're going to be married to a spouse who ain't going to give you no trouble. <laughs> who ain't never going to sin against you. <laughs> Every human spouse sins against you. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Tom Schreiner. So he's talking about sometimes people say, well, you're just idolizing marriage. That's why you're still single. You're just idolizing marriage. And Tom Schreiner says, well, get married and you won't idolize it anymore. <laughs> You'll see what it's like living with another sinner. It will change you. It will humble you. It will make you more like Jesus. But friends, we have a wedding coming. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding. This parable teaches us where we will be joined to our heavenly husband, Jesus Christ. Revelation 19 and 21, let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 20, chapter 21, 1 and 4, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, and coming down out of heaven from God prepares a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Beloved, this parable points us to that reality of where we're heading. That all of life is about marriage. That the Bible began and ends with a marriage. Jonathan Edwards wrote, The end goal of the creation of God was to provide a spouse for His Son, Jesus Christ who might enjoy Him, and on Him He might pour forth His love. And the end of all things in providence are to make way for the exceeding expressions of Christ's love to His spouse and for her exceeding close and intimate union with and high and glorious enjoyment of Him and to bring this to pass. And therefore the last thing and the issue of all things is the marriage of the Lamb. And the wedding day is the last day, the day of judgment, or rather that will be the beginning of it. 
The wedding feast is eternal. And the love and joys, the songs, entertainments, and glories of the wedding never will be ended. It will be an everlasting wedding day. Beloved, that's what we have to look forward to. That's what this parable points us to. The party, this party celebration, notice, is out of our league. It's out of our league. How many of you have been invited to a king's son's wedding? How many of you got invitations to the royal wedding in the UK when they got married? I didn't get an invitation. This wedding is infinitely greater. Infinitely more important. And we get an invitation. This this is out of our league. We, We don't deserve to be invited to this, but we are. All are invited. Notice as well, point four, the kingdom of heaven is like a feast. The king gives a wedding feast for his son. Food is a human need and a strong desire. We love food. People are foodies, right? They take pictures of their food. They, they, they cook and, and, and go to restaurants and love all this food. And they, 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 they love the, the feeling of having food and tasting food and eating different foods. That's God's idea. Amen. It's God's idea. This whole food thing. We desire this. This, this is a, a feast this, in this parable, and, and, and this is the feast that, that all feasts in the Bible point to. The tree of life was a feast that was forbidden. The Passover is a feast. The, the, the bread of the presence in the tabernacle and temple is a feast. Manna in the wilderness was a feast. The meal on Mount Sinai with Moses and the elders was a feast. The feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000 was a feast. The Lord's Supper is a feast. The marriage supper of the Lamb is a feast. This parable points us to those feasts because God is out to satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. Taste and see, the psalmist says, that the Lord is good. Children, God is better than any food. He's better than ice cream. He's better than chocolate. God, be my chocolate. Be my ice cream. Be my filet mignon. Be my bread. Be my everything. Christ is the feast. John 6, 35 and 51, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. John Piper writes, One of the reasons God created bread or created the grain and the water and yeast and fire and human intelligence to make it is so that when Jesus Christ came into the world, He would be able to use the enjoyment of bread and the nourishment of bread as an illustration of what it means to believe on Him and be satisfied with Him. Bread exists to help us know what it is like to be satisfied in Jesus. Beloved, this parable is pointing us to all these realities. Each one can be a sermon. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest wedding celebration that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. Everyone is called. Come and come clothed in the righteousness of Christ and in your good deeds done in Him. Point five. The kingdom of heaven is not for those who don't desire to come. 
The kingdom of heaven is not for those who don't desire to come. Look at verses 2 and 3. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were called to the wedding feast. But they would not come. They didn't desire to come. That could be translated, they didn't desire to come. This feast is not for those who don't want it. And, and as we'll see, people don't want it because they're dead. They're dead in sin. They love their sin. They love feces instead of filet mignon. They don't know it. They think the feces is where the joy really is in the world. They love their sin, and it's really feces. But they're eating feces. Eating bird and dog feces. That's what it is to love sin. When you sin, that's what you're doing, and worse. It's idiotic, it's foolish, it's stupid. But that's what sinners do. They think, they think joy is in sex outside of marriage. It's feces. They think joy is in drugs and alcohol. Oh, I, make, I like how Anthony said one Sunday school class. We're just slaves to, to our, how do you put it, our, our membranes? Glands. We're slaves of our glands. Just whatever feels good. I'll do it. Make me happy. It's feces if God forbids it. They don't desire to come. They don't want what truly satisfies. They, they don't want what gives joy like they've never seen or imagined or felt. Something that's beyond what their glands can give them. They're like dogs in heat. And they don't, they don't get it. They're blind. They don't desire it. This is the world into which Jesus came to a bunch of people who didn't desire Him. John 5, 39 through 40, you search the Scriptures, he said to these Jewish people, because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They refuse to come. John 1, 11 through 13, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Jesus wants you to come. He wants you to come. Lord, grant eyes to see today that we would see the beauty of Christ and be wooed away from sin because we're so satisfied in Him. Jesus says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I want to beg you to come. I want to beg you to come to Christ today. Friend, the Bible teaches that we've all sinned against God. We've all loved feces. I hope that illustration turns some of your stomachs, because it should. That's what sin is. It should turn your stomach as you imagine eating dog feces. That's what sin is, but we've all loved that. 
we've all run after it. We've sinned against God in manifold ways. God gives us these lists of sins all over the Bible in the, in the New Testament. And, and what are they? What do they always include? Why do I bring up the same sins all the time? Because the Bible does. Because they're the, still the same problems today. Sexual immorality. Adultery. Fornication. Drunkenness. Right? Drug stuff. Greed. Romans 1, disobedience to parents, kids. I told my grandmother to shut up one time. I deserve hell for that. If I didn't do any other sin in my life, I deserve hell for telling my grandmother to shut up. And my mom came over and guess what? I didn't do it again. I did stuff once with my mom. I didn't do it again. It happened once. It never happened again. It's called a big paddle with a bunch of holes drilled in it on your backside. You won't do it again. Praise God for my mom. Mom, if you're listening, I love you. You use that rod to drive hell out of me. We sin. We sin against our parents. We sin against our siblings. We're selfish. We're proud. We love the praise of men. We love likes. Facebook is made to, 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 to gravitate to our sinful, selfish, proud nature that wants to be liked. We've all sinned against God, the Bible says. We all deserve God's wrath in hell forever because of our sin. But God loves sinners. That's what this parable is all about. God loves sinners. We're going to see this. He loves sinners, so he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died for our sins on that cross. He who knew no sin was made sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He bore our hell in His body on the tree, suffered the wrath of God, died, was buried. On the third day, He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell so that all, all who repent, turn from sin, and believe in Him shall be saved, shall be saved. And God has to give you eyes to see that. He's got to show you the emptiness of your sin. He's got to show you that nothing in this world will satisfy you. Only Christ. So friends, if you're not a Christian, I urge you today. Today is the day of salvation. Repent of your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. You, you, you should take your Jesus Ada. Your Jesus Ada. I was talking to Sister Tanya this week about, about Shahada. The Shahada is the, the, the testimony in Islam that's false. We need to take the Jesus Hada. The true confession that Jesus made. <laughs> he made the true confession before Pilate, and we make the true confession. Matthew 10, 37 through 38. Whoever, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Friend, would you do that today if you've never done that? I'll be here afterwards. There are other Christians here. We would love to speak with you that you might know Christ today. And share this gospel. <laughs> Sister Tanya was telling me about, about her, her prison evangelism to, to, the, to the ladies. And, and I was just so encouraged about this woman who'd been in a, a lesbian relationship for years. And, and Sister Tanya, don't pull no punches. And she tells her the truth in love. And this woman wept and repented of her sins. 
Amen. Sister Tanya be wearing her shirt, Jesus is God, and causing havoc in the prisons. Wear that shirt. Wear it everywhere. I want everybody to know. That's my hijab. You see, Muslims, they wear their cover and want everybody to know what they do. I'll show you what I do. Hmm. Jesus. Jesus, Ada. Yesu Akbar. Jesus is the greatest. Friend, tell people the gospel. God saves through the gospel. Brother Rob, thank you for sending me 50 million sermons last night on this text. Brother Rob, it's like 6 o'clock at night. I'm done with my sermon. I already sent out. And Brother Rob sends me five or six more sermons to listen to on this text. And at first I'm like, what are you doing? I've, already, I've been preparing all week. I can't. But then I listen. I, I, oh, R.C. Sproul has one. Oh, okay. Listen to that. So glad I did. Thank you, Brother Rob. R.C. Sproul preached on this text, and he told a story of the most remarkable evangelistic encounter he's ever had. He had trained a bunch of people to do evangelism, going door to door, amen, door to door. People think that's outdated. No, it's not. Brother George is here because someone went door to door and told him about Jesus. Anthony is here because somebody preached the gospel on the street at Broad and Alney. Where's Jose? Where's Jose? Jose is here because crazy nuts were outside ShopRite handing out tracts, and now he came. So R.C. Sproul, Mr. Reformed himself, Mr. Calvinist himself, was leading a group to go door to door. And they came uh, to this, uh, uh, he called it a bachelorette pad, these two single ladies. And his elder is going to share the gospel for the first time. And his elder starts sharing the gospel. And gets about halfway through, and the lady stops him and interrupts him and said, Sir, I appreciate you doing this. I don't mean any disrespect, but I've heard this a thousand times. And I don't really want to hear it again. So R.C. said, I taught the people to be kind and considerate. So he, the elder said, Okay, well, thank you for listening. Maybe we can pick this up at another time. But R.C. said, Ma'am, if you've heard it a thousand times, would it hurt to hear it one more time? Would you mind if I shared for five more minutes? And she said, sure, go ahead. And so Dr. Sproul finished sharing the gospel with this lady, and they left. Six weeks later, that lady showed up in the new members class. And she told them that after you shared the gospel with me, I went back to my room and fell on my knees and wept over my sins and trusted in Jesus. Beloved, keep sharing the gospel. I don't care if it's been a thousand times. Share a thousand and one and pray for fruit. This is the best news in the world. This is what this parable is about. Point six, the kingdom of heaven is free to all, but it's not for those who would rather do other things. Look at verses four and five. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited or called, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves and have been, have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one of them to his farm and another to his business. Beloved, notice in these verses, God has done everything that needs to be done. The feast is ready and free. Did you notice that? I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. God has done everything. It is finished. It is accomplished. God has done everything for this feast. You don't have to do anything. God did it all. God has done it all. The kingdom of heaven is free. 
But notice it says they paid no attention. They paid no attention. God and His Son and His priorities and His purposes must take first priority in your life by far. When the text says they paid no attention, do you know where else that verb is found in the New Testament? Hebrews 2.3 How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? They, they, they paid no attention. They paid no attention to this. God wants your attention. He must be first in your life by far. He must be first in your life by far. You, you, you can't desire other things more than Him. Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 10, 37-38 Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Beloved, Christ must be first. Christ must be first above all, far above all. More important than farms and businesses. More important than wives and husbands and children. Christ must be first. And these people, notice, they went off because they went to their farm and to their business. And, and there's nothing inherently wrong with having a farm and having a business. Those aren't bad things. But often it's the things that are lawful that we turn into idols that keep us from the kingdom or that tempt us to walk away from the kingdom. John Piper, in his book, Hunger for God, Desiring God Through Prayer and Fasting, has this great paragraph on this point that he's making from the same similar parable in Luke 14. He says, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetites for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of His love, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. Luke 14, 18-20. The great adversary of love to God is not His enemies, but His gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God Himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Beloved, we should take that to heart, right? What, what, what is in our lives that may be perfectly lawful and yet we've raised it to a level of godness? that we need to give up and follow Him. Fast from it. Consider fasting from it. Ha, oh, I don't need my phone. I can live without my phone. Oh, really? Go without it for a day. I know some people who turn their phones off on the Lord's Day. No text, no calls. Oh, I'm not, I'm not a slave to this. I'm not a slave to Diet Coke. I'm not, I mean, you think of all the things. I'm not a slave to, okay, go without it for a week. Go without it and see 
and see. The bottom line is we want God to be our God. We want to desire God above everything else. We want to find our pleasure in God. We want our greatest joy to be in God. And yet these people in this parable, they chose other things and not God. Number seven, the kingdom of heaven is not for those who hate the king and his messengers. Look at verses five and six. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business, while the rest, verse six, seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. We saw this last week. This is what the people of Israel did over and over again when God sent them prophets. They rejected them and persecuted them and even killed some of them. And they eventually killed the son. And there are people like this in the world. They hate God. <laughs> They're actively in, uh, 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 with a, a, a loud voice, hostile to God. We see this more and more in our culture as we stand for truth and righteousness and a, a Jesus sexual ethic. We're going to see people hate God more when we stand for the truth of God that He made us in His image, male and female. There are only two genders, man and woman. When we stand for those truths, we're going to be hated. We're being called bigots. <laughs> I was called a devil. It brought an only on Thursday. And like the next day I read, if they called the master of the house Belzebub, how much were they you? I was so encouraged by that. Praise God. Praise God. Call me a devil. Jesus saves. There are people that hate God. They hate the sexual ethic that Jesus teaches. They hate the words of God. And they would kill him if they could. They want to get rid of all this religious nonsense. And we see that. We see it in our world today. We see it. In this parable, we see it in northern Nigeria where Muslims are slaughtering Christians by the thousands. Heard a story of a pastor where they, they, they attacked the village and he went into the church building to pray and they came in and shot him. There are people who hate God. And we see that in this parable. But beloved, the kingdom of heaven is the greatest wedding celebration has ever crossed the horizon of this world. Everyone is called. Everyone is called, even People who kill people in the name of God. God's saving Muslim terrorists. The number one read testimony in Christianity Today in 2023 was a man who came to the U.S. who wanted to kill Christians. And he got saved. He got saved. Al-Fadi makes wonderful videos on Islam and Christianity. He got saved and now he preaches Jesus. God calls everyone, everyone, come and come clothed in the righteousness of Christ and in your good deeds done in Him. Number eight, the kingdom of heaven has a king who will bring justice. The kingdom of heaven has a king who will bring justice. We don't like this part. <laughs> we don't like this. Pastor, can you skip this point? <laughs> we, want a, we want a God of love without justice. That's what the world wants, right? Just all love, love, love. Kindness, kindness, kindness. Pat on the back, pat on the back. Everybody's saved. Everybody's going to heaven. Love, love, love. I got to preach the whole Jesus to y'all. Do you love Jesus? You love the Jesus of the Bible or the Jesus that you made up in your mind? Because this Jesus has verse 7 in the Bible. The kingdom of heaven has a king who will bring justice. Look at verse 7. The king was angry. He's angry at these ones who killed his servants and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Friend, if you reject the king's invitation, there will be hell to pay, very literally. 
Now, some think that this has a reference to 70 AD when God destroyed Jerusalem, and that may be so, but I think primarily it points to the final judgment, which I think 70 AD also points to. This is God bringing judgment on sinners who reject Him. Craig Blomberg writes, overt rejection of God's invitation leads to eventual retribution. We saw this as well last week. God is going to judge those who reject Him, who don't receive His invitation. Revelation 6, 15-17. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? It's going to be terrible. It's going to be horrific. I'm thinking of Sister Mavis right now and that song that she sang to me about being who's going to be cast outside. Standing outside the portals. Don't be standing outside, friend. It's going to be so horrific. Jesus is going to kill and crush and bring judgment on all those who do not receive His invitation Revelation 14, 19 through 20. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the great harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 16,000 stadia. That's about 184 miles. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of blood. That's, that's like six or seven feet of blood high for 184 miles. You like bloody movies? Where the good guy kills all the bad guys? I love movies like that. Because they remind me of Jesus. They remind me of King Jesus. He's going to come back. Every good movie and story points to Christ, by the way. There's going to be a lot of blood. Those movies ain't got nothing on this. Jesus is going to come back and crush His and our enemies. And we're going to rejoice. Friend, you want to be on His side. You want to be on His side. He deserves your worship. He deserves your honor. He deserves your your submission. He is worthy. But He will not be merciful forever. He's going to come, and you must be ready. Trust in the king. Receive his invitation. Number nine, the kingdom of heaven has a king who wants to be, it wants uh, uh, it to be filled with people, and it will be filled with people. The kingdom of heaven has a king who wants it filled with people, and it will be filled with people. The king has three different waves of invitations in this parable. Number one, he invites and no one comes. They don't desire to come. Number two, he invites and the people do other things. Or they attack his servants violently. And number three, he sends his servants into the main roads to invite whosoever will, who will come. Beloved, just see again God's mercy heart. He's having mercy. Even you being here today is mercy. He's inviting you, calling you today. Over and over and over again, he calls. Imagine that. He invites and no one comes. He invites again. People want to do other things. They, they attack violently. And yet He invites again. 
This is that amazing, relentless, measureless mercy of God who calls and calls and calls and invites. God wants sinners to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Who, destroys, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everybody to be saved. That person you don't want to be saved, He wants them to be saved. <laughs> that person you don't like to talk to, He wants them to be saved. The people that annoy you most out on the streets, at your job, that you have trouble with he, God wants them to be saved. God wants. I, I saw people were people were all uh, upset about this. What little Nas X is doing this 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 video that that, that, that that makes fun of Jesus. And I saw one guy said, "I can't wait to see when he gets saved and becomes to proclaim Christ." Yeah. That's how you should view sinners. Not anger, hatred. You, you uh, angry about this politician? Angry about that? Post that? Be mad at that? That guy did this? Pray for them. <laughs> channel your anger to prayer save those people save these wicked politicians save sinners pray for them to be saved God wants everyone to be saved and we should want sinners to be saved too and work to accomplish that purpose beloved remember our mission as a church Matthew 28, 18-20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our calling as a church. Primarily because Jesus deserves their honor and worship. And because we love them and want them to be saved and want them to to experience the joy that God made them for. We want them to know God. Ten. The kingdom of heaven has all kinds of invited guests. The kingdom of heaven has all kinds of invited guests. Matthew 22, 8 through 10. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited, those called were not worthy. They weren't worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite and invite, uh, uh, call to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good, bad, and good. Beloved, what does it mean to be worthy? What does it mean to be worthy? He said, the people I invited before, they're not worthy. What does that mean to be worthy? It's not that some people are just worth more than others or have earned a place at the table more than others. To be worthy is simply to accept the invitation. To be worthy is is to accept the invitation to trust in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be worthy. Just come. Everything's done. Everything's prepared. Just come. See God's mercy heart. See God's mercy heart again in this parable. Verse 9. Go therefore to the main roads and invite. Call the wedding Feast as many, call to the wedding feast as many as you find. Go to the main roads, go to Broad and Aldi, go to ShopRite, go to the highways and byways, go, go and call them to come. What does it mean that the servants gathered all who they found, both bad and good? What does that mean? 
They gathered both bad and good. There, there is a sense in which everyone is bad in God's eyes. Right? Mark 10, 18, Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Everybody's bad. It's like when, it's like when I, was, uh, I, I was in the Navy and I had uh, to get a secret clearance. And a friend of mine, who's also a Christian, he would enter, they would, the, 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 uh, not the CIA, but the NCIS, the uh, Navy intelligence people, they would interview your friends before they give you a secret clearance. And they went to my friend and interviewed the, uh, uh, my friend about me and the first words out of this guy's mouth were, Joseph is a poor, rotten sinner who deserves to burn in hell. That's true. Probably won't help me get a secret clearance. And, and the guy kept talking to him until he found out, oh, okay. I just mean, like, humanly speaking, relative to other human beings, is Joseph a good guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's a good guy. So they interviewed me, and I said the same thing about him. <laughs> There's a sense in which everybody's bad and deserves hell, right? We're all sinners. We're all bad. Romans 3, 10 through 12. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. But in another sense, judging by human standards, there are morally good and morally bad people. There are people like the rich young ruler who outwardly conform to God's standards. They honor their parents generally. They stay married and don't cheat on their wives. They raise families. They love their children. They work hard and contribute to society. And there are people who, judging by human standards, are bad. They cheat. They steal. They murder. They're lazy. They commit adultery. They're in prison. There are the younger prodigal sons in the world who run off and live prodigally. And there are elder brother prodigal sons in the world who stay home and do what everything daddy says and are morally moral in a sense, but inside they're dead and bad as well. The point is God's calling all of them. God is calling all of them. God is calling all nations. God is calling everyone, rich and poor. He's calling those in prison. He's calling uh, business executives. He's calling people like Manny Mill who, 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 who embezzled all this money and went to prison. He, he's calling the guy who is a very good moral Muslim guy who is, uh, you know, gives to the poor and is faithful to his wife uh, but is, is going to hell unless he trusts Christ. God is calling everybody, good and bad. By everybody's standard, he's calling everyone to be saved. He's inviting everyone. That's, that's the point. Craig Blumberg says, God invites many people of different kinds into his kingdom. Beloved, the kingdom of heaven is the greatest wedding celebration that's ever caused the rising of this world. Everyone is called. Come and come clothed in the righteousness of Christ and in your good deeds done in him. Number 11, the kingdom of heaven is for all those who will come and it will be filled. Look at verse 10. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Beloved, God is going to get all he wants. He's going to get everything he wants. He is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Ain't nobody going to go to hell that Jesus wants in heaven. He's going to save all of his elect. Every single one is going to be saved. Not one shall be lost. The wedding celebration is going to be filled with guests. John 6, 37 again, all that the Father gives me will come to me. 
will come to me. Not might come to me. Maybe will come to me. If they exercise their free will and come No, no. They all going to come. God going to overcome that free willy and give them a new willy that loves him. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come, and whoever comes I will never cast out. Romans 8, 29 through 30, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's going to be filled with guests. Point number 12. The kingdom of heaven is only for those who have the proper wedding garment. The kingdom of heaven is only for those who have the proper wedding garment. Look at verses 11 through 13. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot. Uh Uh-oh. We're not going to like this. I'm sorry. This is Jesus. Bind him hand and foot, bind him hand and foot, and cast him to the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Beloved, those without a wedding garment will be cast out of the wedding feast. You have several groups of people in this parable who don't make it into the wedding feast. They don't make it into the kingdom of heaven. Number one, those who are invited but don't desire to come. Number two, those who are invited but have better things to do. Number three, those who are invited but react with violence toward the invitation. Number four, those who are invited and seem to come and make a start at coming but are not prepared. These are the ones who are in the visible church but won't make it into heaven on the last day. This, is the, this group is the one most important for us to hear about because he's talking about us. He's talking about preachers. He's talking about church members. He's talking about people who are here today who have an appearance of being included, and yet they're not going to be ready on the last day. Beloved, we need to hear this. This is a means of us persevering to the end. This is a means of God awakening some who may be here who think they know Him, but they don't know Him. Craig Blumberg writes, failure to prepare adequately even when apparently accepted by God proves no less culpable or liable to eternal punishment. Matthew 7, we saw Jesus say, Matthew 7, 21-23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Beloved, we need to be aware that there's a category like this. That there are people who call Jesus Lord, who are even claiming and doing mighty works in the name of Christ. And yet on the last day, Jesus will send them to hell. Father, if there's anyone among us, if I'm deceived, Lord, show us. Open our eyes. Father, we want everyone in this room right now to go to heaven. Holy Spirit, work. Those without a wedding garment will be severely punished, we see. Verse 13, Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I learned something 
yesterday about gnashing of teeth that I didn't know. I, I knew that this phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, talked about the, the suffering and pain that sinners will encounter under God's judgment in hell. There will be weeping. And, and I always thought gnashing of teeth had to do with that same pain and suffering. It don't. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I learned this yesterday. There's always more to learn about God's Word. Yes, yes there's going to be pain and suffering. That's what the weeping points to. There will be weeping like no one's ever weeped in hell as sinners suffer God's everlasting and eternal punishment that will never end. There will be weeping. It won't be no party. You hear these people, I'm going to go to hell and party with all the sinners. No, it won't be like that. You're going to hate it more than anything you've ever hated and you'll never get out. That's the weeping. It's going to be suffering and pain. Jesus describes it as unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. But this gnashing of teeth, in all five places that gnashing of teeth is used in the Old Testament, Job 16, Psalm 35, Psalm 37, Psalm 112, and in Lamentations 2.16, and in the New Testament, Acts 7.54, it's anger. Anger toward God. These people are going to weep, but they're going to be angry about God and who He is and His character and His love and grace and mercy, and in punishing them. And they're going to gnash their teeth at God. They hate God, and they'll hate Him for all eternity as they weep under His wrath and are angry at God. That's their, that's their everlasting destination, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, flee, flee, beloved. Flee into the arms of Jesus. Flee into the arms of Jesus. It makes me want to flee in the arms of Jesus. How do you flee into the arms of Jesus? What, 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 what does the, we need the wedding garment. We need the wedding garment. What, what does this wedding garment represent? I love how Charles Spurgeon described this wedding garment. He says the wedding garment represents anything which is indispensable to a Christian, but which the unrenewed heart is not willing to accept. Anything which the Lord ordains to be a necessary attendant of salvation against which selfishness rebels. This this man didn't want what God had to give. He was speechless. He had no response. Some some commentators say, well, the the, the king gave these these garments out and he just didn't accept it. We, We don't know all the details, but we know this man should have been ready. And he wasn't ready. He didn't accept the garment. He didn't have what he needed to be saved. What do we need to be saved? We need righteousness. We need righteousness and we need two kinds of righteousness. We need two kinds. We need the imputed righteousness of Christ that covers us like a robe and we need our own Holy Spirit produced good deeds righteousness. Which is necessary as evidence. And will be there if you're truly born again and have the imputed righteousness. So we need it. This garment, I, I think, represents both. It represents the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61.10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Beloved, when Jesus lived on this life, he, in this life, he never disobeyed God. He obeyed the Torah. He, he obeyed the instruction. He did God's law perfectly. He never sinned. And when you trust in him, his righteous life is counted as your life. Yeah. 
Isn't that amazing? Not only are all your sins, past, present, and future, forgiven and cast behind his back and uh, put on the depths of the ocean floor, but you get his righteousness. So, so you're like in debt. You're like in debt a trillion bucks in your sin, and you're forgiven. That gets you back to zero, but you need to be in... I always get this messed up. Is it in the red or in the black? You got to be in the black. I want to say red because of the blood of Christ, but you got to be in the black. You, you need positive righteousness. You need positive righteousness. Jesus is that positive righteousness. He lived a perfect life. And when you trust him by faith alone, his righteous life is credited to you, even though you didn't live that way. And so when God looks at you, he sees you clothed in the righteousness of his son. And that righteousness cannot ever change because he's in heaven at the right hand of God. He is your righteousness. Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And so this garment is the righteousness of Jesus. Friend, have you trusted in Christ alone as your Savior? If you have, you're forgiven and counted righteous in Christ. And he clothes you like a garment. But there's more. If you are truly justified like that, and you have that garment, that robe of righteousness, you will begin to live the godly life that God calls you to. It, 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 it has to happen. It just will because you're a new creature. You're a new, the Holy Spirit's in you. Jesus lives in you. And it's going to get out. And you're going to do good deeds. And those also cover you as a garment. That's what Revelation says. Our good deeds, righteousness, are also included in this. Revelation 19, 7 through 8. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We need both, and we will have both, in Christ Jesus. That's the garment. That's the garment. And the king is the only one, notice, who has authority to let people into his kingdom and to cast them out. The king does this. The king has authority to do this. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. God has this authority. Number 13, the kingdom of heaven invitation is the call given to many. The kingdom of heaven invitation is the call given to many. Look at the final verse in our passage, Matthew twenty two fourteen. For many are called, but few are chosen. This call goes out to everyone, everywhere. This is what theologians call the general call. This is the great invitation. This is the preaching and sharing of the gospel. And friend, we are to be God's servants who call and call and call and call some more. We're to be like R.C. Sproul. Can I tell you a thousand and one times? Amen. Keep telling people, beloved. Keep praying for people. No matter what your situation, no matter who it is that you think is impossible to be saved, keep praying for them. Keep praying for opportunities to share. Keep telling people the gospel. This call goes to everyone. And then finally, number 14, the kingdom of heaven invitation will properly be accepted only by those who are chosen. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. for many are called, but few are chosen. 
Only those who are chosen actually make it into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who are chosen actually make it into the kingdom of heaven. This refers to God's predestination and unconditional election of those who He would save. And this happened before the foundation of the world. This, this is, is a very comforting thought to those of us who are, have made our calling election sure. And this can be a very frightening thought to those of you who don't know God. Because you could wonder, am I chosen? Am I chosen? But this is an amazing thought. That God, before the foundation of the world, before you were ever born, did anything good or bad, God said, Stephanie's mine. Not based on anything she would do. Not based on anything he, you, he, she, he would look into the future and see what she does. Oh yeah, I see Stephanie, she's going to choose me, so based on that, I'm going to choose her. That is rubbish. That is scubalon. No, God sovereignly chooses whom He pleases because He chooses to love you. He just chooses to love you. That's, husbands, that's the best answer to your wife. Why, honey, honey, why do you love me? Because I love you. I love you. I love you because I love you. God loves us because He loves us, not based on anything in us. And that's what one theologian said, the greatest assurance I have that God will never stop loving me is He never started. He always has. He always has. This is election. This is Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. This is the good news of Romans 9, 6 through 24, which I just want to read because it's so precious. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born... And had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of His call. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For He says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills. And he hardens whomever he wills. He will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, old man, to answer back to God? When what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make one, make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He's prepared beforehand for glory, even us 
whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Beloved, that is, that is glorious news of election. That God has chosen. You're a Christian. God has chosen you. He's chosen to have mercy on you. He's made you a vessel of mercy. And he will never let you go. You will be at the banquet. You will be at the wedding. God will keep you. And friend, if you wonder if you're chosen or not, the call stands. The invitation stands. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And you will be at the wedding feast. Just trust Him. Believe on Him. And you're chosen. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest wedding celebration that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. Everyone is called. Come and come clothed in the righteousness of Christ and in your good deeds done in Him. And finally, beloved, let us remember Jesus is our only hope. Our only hope to go to the wedding feast is that on the cross, Jesus was punished like all those in this parable who rejected the invitation. Jesus was seized and treated shamefully and killed so that we might live forever. God the King was angry with His Son because of our sin and destroyed and burned Jesus with the fires of His own wrath on the cross that we might never face that judgment. Jesus was bound hand and foot and cast into the outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth so that we may never be bound and thrown into that hard place. Jesus' garments were literally stripped off and He died cursed and naked on that tree that we might be fully clothed and fully satisfied in Christ forever. He took upon Himself the nasty and filthy garments of our sin so that we get His pure robe of righteousness imputed to us by faith alone. And then He rose up from the dead, affirming and securing all of this for us, for His glory. Christ Jesus is the Son and Groom of the greatest wedding whom His Father gives to end all gloom. The God-man came in Mary's womb, then lived and died to death consumed. He bore God's wrath and judgment doomed, then conquered death, rose from the tomb, ascended, and all powers assume. On sinners, Christ will lay the boom. Would you be worthy of this groom? Called and chosen to His room, where joys ever grow and loom? Then turn from loves that hearts consume and every sin that causes doom and trust in Christ alone, the groom. You will be justified and bloom and royal sonship you'll assume. A wedding garment's yours for whom there will no more be any gloom. All joy is yours in Christ your groom. Oh, beloved, come. Come to the table. Come without money. Come and drink and eat of this feast of Christ forever. Father, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for Him teaching this parable. We thank You that we 
have been the, had the privilege to, to read it and study it and, and, and think about it together this morning. Lord, we ask that your spirit would come and apply all of it to our hearts and minds and lives. Lord, wherever we need to be instructed, we pray that your spirit would instruct us. Wherever we need to be moved to action, move us to action. Lord, wherever we need our hearts warm with affection for the great bridegroom, Lord, warm our hearts for Christ. And Father, wherever we need our hides tanned and to be convicted of sin, Lord, convict us and help us follow Christ. We ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.